Come on up here and play in our backyard. We've also got amazing cross-country and snowmo access right out the back door, and we're open Wednesday through Sunday every week into early April. Check us out online at antelopebuttefoundation.org, or you can find us on social media. Our team members are friendly, and our family vibe is true Wyoming, so come on up to Antelope Butte, home of the best skiing and riding in the Bighorns. You opened your account with your local Sunlight Federal Credit Union, but maybe you find yourself on vacation or going to college or are moving away and you wonder how will you access your account. Well, don't worry. It has never been easier. You can access your account at more than 5,000 co-op shared branch locations in all 50 states, just like you were at your home credit union. To find the nearest branch, visit coopsharedbranch.org. Sunlight Federal Credit Union, banking done local no matter where you are. Sunlight Federal Credit Union, member NCUA, an equal housing lender, building a brighter future together. Enjoy homemade soups every day at Designing Dinners, Sagewood North Cafe. Serve with cheese wedges and fresh bread, or pair it with one of their signature sandwiches like the dill cotto, smoked turkey, avocado, sprouts, red onion, seasoned dill pepper, and mayo. Designing Dinners, Sagewood North Cafe. See menus at designing-dinners.com. Open weekdays for lunch from 11 till 3 and from 9 to 5 for dinner pickup at 615 Broadway in Sheridan. Call 674-2460 for pickup. This public service announcement sponsored by Pilch Engineering, providing landfill engineering services to Wyoming. Hello, this is Chase Edwards. I am a member of the Sheridan County 4-H program. The 4-H Council is hosting our annual raffle fundraiser. A ticket gives you 12 chances to win items like tires, a front-end alignment for your car, gas cards, and more. Contact your favorite 4-H member or leader or call the extension office at 674-2980 to buy tickets. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program. Brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. This morning I am joined by the University of Wyoming Director of Institutional Communications, Mr. Chad Baldwin. Good morning, Chad. Good morning, Floyd. Now, how's the weather down there in Laramie? It got a little cold up here over the last couple of days. Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty chilly and uh, got a little bit of snow. And, and of course, uh, this part of the country is generally pretty windy this time of year. So uh, it's not, not a good combination. Although, we, we, you know, we could... We've had much worse, I'll say that. So, <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, it, and here, the sun's shining. There you go. We have, uh, we have lots of sun in Wyoming. <laughs> that's, that's the good part. Uh, you can always go outside and get some vitamin D when you need to. Well, at least uh, most of the time. I'm actually really looking forward to spring this year. It's my favorite time of the year. And I'm hoping that we get uh, quite a bit of spring rain. Do uh, you hear any rumblings down there about uh, moisture and, and farmers being concerned? I think it's maybe in certain parts of the state, yeah. Although uh, what I'm hearing statewide is it's, you know, we're below average, but not dangerously so. And, you know, and this next couple months is when usually we get quite a lot. So we'll see what happens. How has the semester been going for the students down there? Well, it's uh, it's been a good semester, Floyd. Although we had a it's been a really rough week. I'm, I'm sure everybody yeah, heard absolutely. about our our student athletes who killed in the crash, and uh, so things have been pretty somber. I mean, uh, in terms of what's happening in the classrooms and the labs and in the field and all that stuff, it's it's been really good. But 
uh, this is this has been a pretty dark time here the last week. Our hearts are with you, brother. Our hearts are with you guys down there. Now, uh, switching gears on us, there has been some new research that was led by a University of Wyoming graduate student. This has shown that invasive ants in a Kenyan savanna have caused lions to change their predatory behavior. Chad, this is fascinating. How can the introduction of an ant change the hunting habits of the king of the jungle? Well, uh, so the ants are uh, the native ants there in this in, in Kenya uh, live in these trees called whistling thorn trees, and they have a symbiotic relationship. So they they live in there, they get nectar, they hit habitat, and then anything that tries to eat the trees, the ants attack. And so they uh, and so the ants actually attack elephants, and you wouldn't think ants would uh, affect the elephant behavior, but apparently they're they're nose you know they're they're pretty sensitive, and the ants just bite the heck out of the elephants. So the elephants leave these trees alone, right? And what that means then is that these, this tree cover provides a place for lions to hang out to ambush their primary prey there, which is zebras. And so if you, if you bring these, these uh, non-native ants that kill the native ants and don't protect the trees, then the elephants eat the trees, and then the lions don't have the cover to to uh, to pr- pursue zebras, and so they have to change the, what they hunt. And they and that's and our researchers here at UW have documented this in a real major scientific journal and gotten lots of international attention. It's absolutely amazing that something so small can affect something so large in such a way that the lions have had to change their primary behavior hunting um yeah it's, it really is amazing they call it like a they call this a cascading effect right and you know we, we've seen it in even in wyoming where a good example is and this was documented by uw people oh probably seven eight years ago that uh you know we have lake trout now in yellowstone lake they uh eat a lot of the cutthroat trout so the cutthroat trout numbers are have gone down and historically, the cutthroat trout, when they go up to spawn in the tributaries, grizzly bears would eat those fish. Well, there's not as much many cutthroat trout now, so the grizzly bears have to change their predatory behavior, and they're eating more elk calves as a result. So it's again, it's just another cascading effect from, uh, in this case, in both of these cases, a non-native species that's come in and just kind of messed things up. It's just, it, it always amazes me how one little change uh, can make such a huge impact on an ecosystem. Do we know how these ants were introduced into the savannah? Have they figured out where they came from? They think it's from some island in the Indian Ocean and uh, probably from some sort of trade or shipping or something like that. But nobody, there is some mystery to it. Uh, how they that. I think they've been there about 20 years now, maybe. The big-headed ants, they're called it. That, that are not native to uh, to Africa, and and so it's really it's really an interesting story and kind of cool because you know that Dr. Goheen, who's the who oversees this research, he's also an expert on on Wyoming wildlife, does both and researches both. And then, but when the, the 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 guy who led the effort on this is a graduate student here at the university who's from Kenya, and this is so this is his homeland. This is the stuff he's. He's trying to help his 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 country, 
and uh, and then as a result, then people at UW get to have experiences not just in Wyoming studying wildlife, but in Africa where they have a lot of the sim- similar issues with predator issues and and livestock and wildlife. All you know, it's 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 uh, it's really 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 a cool thing. It absolutely is a cool thing, and I love the idea that it's almost as if we're all kind of unified in this battle against invasive species. The species might be different, but we're all trying to preserve our ecosystems kind of from other ecosystems. We've got major issues here in the United States, and something that we've talked about uh, extensively on this program uh, with uh, mussels coming into the country, uh, mostly through shipping, and again, we've got uh, certain beetles, and I know this has really affected the mountains down there in Laramie uh, when it comes yeah. to those pine beetles coming over. And at least in that case, well, I think that yeah, I think the pine beetles are actually native, but but uh, but you know there are perhaps some climate-related things tied into that too. But the, uh, great, another great example is, of course, the cheatgrass in Wyoming, Floyd. And I know you know. Uh, uh, we have a whole uh, UW operation devoted to to focusing on va- invasive plant species, and cheatgrass is messing things up. It, it has it all across the West, and it's making more inroads in Wyoming. And so, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big topic for sure. Wow, I did the smallest thing could absolutely just devastate an ecosystem. Now, have the lions? How are they compensating for this change in their environment? Yeah. So that's the thing that's interesting. So far, the lion numbers haven't got gone down, and so what they've observed is they're killing more African buffalo. But buffalo are bigger than zebras, and it takes more lions to bring down a buffalo than it does for zebras. So they're doing their hunting in bigger groups now, and wow. uh, and so uh, we'll see now what's going to happen to the buffalo population. You know, we don't. It's hard to say, but uh, so far they've been able to adjust, kind of like. The grizzly bears in Yellowstone have adjusted to, to fewer cutthroat trout. They they just find other stuff to eat. Uh, maybe not ideal, but they're they're pretty adaptable. Uh, now again, for the long term, what does this mean? We're not sure. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's hard to say. And I think that's fascinating. They they've compensated by hunting in larger groups to take larger prey to the ground. So they yeah, automatically they don't just, they, have, they don't have to ambush ambushing is not is only what they kind of do for zebras. They they can they they go out the buffalo or different settings where they uh you know it's they they're accessible but you have to you have to work a lot harder to bring one down. This is interesting because I I would love to see check back on this say 10 15 years after uh you know maybe a generation or two of lions have come through that savanna. And learn what their hunting behavior has adapted to. Um, you bet. I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating. And and something else, uh, the University of Wyoming archaeology professor Todd Suravel and his team of collaborators have discovered a tube-shaped bead made out of bone that is approximately 12,940 years old. Chad, is this the oldest bead ever found? In in the Americas, it absolutely is, Floyd. They have found older ones in in, in places where humans have been around longer, but this this dating here puts it as these are the very first first humans. This this is the Clovis people uh, ever to be in in, in the Americas, 
and they were right here in Wyoming, and and uh, they were. This is the site up near uh, near Glenrock where uh, uh, this group of early humans either they came upon a, uh, a dead mammoth or they killed the mammoth themselves. And uh, our archaeologists have been working there for almost ten years now, I think, uh, to 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 find out more about who these people were and what they did. And this bead is a new wrinkle on this, and and uh, is showing that these these hunter gatherers also had time to do some decorative things. Uh, and um, and so it's uh, Professor Sorvel has talked about this Laprell Mammoth site as a, a national treasure. And the discovery of this bead is uh, another example of that. Now, when it comes to this site, uh, as as far as we know, this was quite possibly kind of a one-time use site, or was this something that uh, they returned to often? No, this was a one-time deal. It tied in very much to the to what they were pulling off the off of the mammoth carcass, How you know, food, bone, whatever they were. You know, they used a lot of stuff, and so. Um, uh, yeah, and and the thing that's interesting though, the bead itself is made out of bone from a rabbit or a hare, uh, uh, which which is really interesting. Um, and it's and so, yeah, that, this is it's just amazing. One tiny little piece of, you know, one tiny little object on this dig, they they do an analysis. They can date it. They can analyze it to find out what kind of animal it came from, and. Uh, and as you look at the pictures, yeah, this is very clearly this isn't a natural process. That somebody somebody made this thing. Somebody put some love into this very small object because this is what seven centimeters long. Yeah, uh, seven millimeters. Seven millimeters long. This thing yeah, is tiny, yeah. tiny. Yeah, but it's but you can see it's been worked. I mean, there there's a hole that's got been made down through it, and then. Uh, um, and it's the, the internal diameter is is 1.6 millimeters. So holy cow! Yeah. So yeah. they really, I mean, and and we're able to look at this thing and know this. Uh, the markings on this bead were not from predation. They were not uh, uh, made naturally, I guess you can say, but were definitely made by man. Absolutely. Yep. Very, very thorough analysis, and they they considered all the all the things, and they just it's just the only explanation is a human being made this. That's absolutely amazing. And 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 the oldest one found in the Americas, twelve thousand nine hundred and forty years old. Did this bead throw off any uh, dates that we had previously set on that site, or does it just add more evidence to uh, our estimations? It just confirmed what they what they what they had, had known from other analysis done of the of the arc, you know the the fossils found there, and then the other like the tools that were made and and left there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's further confirmation that this these were Wyoming's first humans, and 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 you know, really some of the very first in all of all of the Americas. Well, Professor uh, Surovel is is correct. That site is an absolute treasure for us. Uh, all right, we're going to have more with the University of Wyoming right after this. You're listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Sheridan.
a new year means new adventures. Make this year the start of your homeownership adventure with First Federal Bank and Trust. Our local team will guide you through the home loan process from start to finish. Explore our online tools 24-7 from customizable financial calculators to daily mortgage rates. Call us or stop by our home loan center to get pre-qualified or apply online today at efirstfederal.bank. At First Federal Bank and Trust, we're making home happen in Sheridan. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Look for the new Mead Legacy Home Plan Collections in the Connect Home Center Flyer in this week's Country Bounty. With efficient and affordable one-level plans to large multi-level homes, there's a plan for you, and they can help with a contractor too. If you're already a homeowner and planning a remodel, browse the kitchen showrooms right here in their Sheridan store. Then shop for all the items you like. Get inspired with the Connect Home Center Flyer and shop locally at 1836 South Sheridan Avenue in Sheridan. So what are Shopaminiums? They combine both commercial and residential elements. Synergy Shopaminiums, a large warehouse space, a full bath, conference area, office, and a laundry. Customized to fit your individual needs. Synergy Shopaminiums, located on Sheridan's East Ridge Road, a customizable condominium unit combining convenience and functionality. Easy access to the interstate and downtown. For more info, call Sheridan Realty Associates to reserve yours today. Christy Kinghorn of Buffalo Realty would like to talk to you about 38 Ridge Lane near Buffalo. This beautiful three-bedroom solar home in the country has breathtaking views of the Bighorns. Spacious kitchen and dining area with a formal living room and a separate office or family room. A wrought iron fenced-in yard is well landscaped. Plus, there's a small reservoir on the property. The home and 15.66 acres can be sold separate from the other 138 acres. If interested, call Christy Kinghorn at Buffalo Realty, connecting people with property. The following message presented by First Federal Bank and Trust, Sheridan's only mutual bank. Visit efirstfederal.bank. The wait is finally over. Sheridan County 4-H would like to invite your family to our 4-H Carnival on Saturday, March 9th from 4 to 7 p.m. This year's carnival will take place at the Sheridan County Fairgrounds Exhibit Hall. We will have fun games to play, prizes to win, and food to eat. That's Saturday, March 9th. We hope to see you there. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse. I'm Floyd Whiting, and this morning I'm speaking with the University of Wyoming Director of Institutional Communications, Mr. Chad Baldwin. In the first part of the show, we spoke about some amazing discoveries by some of UW's top researchers. Invasive ants affecting the hunting habits of lions on the African savanna and the discovery of what is believed to be the oldest bead ever found in the Americas dating back 12,940 years. If you missed that, you can find this show in its entirety later today on SheridanMedia.com. Now, according to some groundbreaking research, also led by University of Wyoming archaeologist Assistant Professor Randy Haas, the oft-used description of early humans as hunter-gatherers may be changed to gatherer-hunters, at least in the Andes of South America. Chad, what did Professor Haas's team discover that is changing the way we look at the diet of ancient man in that area. Sure. Uh, so this is in, in Peru, uh, and there's an archaeological site there where there's lots, they found lots of human remains. And, uh, and so they, they took these, these remains and did what they call isotopic 
chemistry and, and statistical modeling to, to you can look at, basically looking at these bones and and do an analysis say you can tell what they were eating by analyzing these bones that are 9,000 to 6,500 6, years old. <laughs> Just amazing. Wow. So, so, so that's what this analysis did, and this isotopic analysis. And they, they found, you know, they'd always figured, uh, you know, because they found, they found animal remains, and they found hunting, spe- you know, spear tips and things like that along with these human remains. So they know they did some hunting. Uh, and they figure that must be most of their diet. Well, as they did the analysis, no, 80% of what it was plants they were eating. And and as they looked at the dental wear patterns on the their their upper incisors, uh, they figured they found that it's tubers, set things like potatoes that they were probably eating. And the thing that's very interesting is we know, of course, that potatoes came from uh, this part of the world. Uh, although, you know, that's associated mostly with the Inca people, I believe, that came a little later, or it was quite a lot later, actually. And so, you know, that, uh, some some picture here that these folks might have been, this was the early part of maybe cultivating potatoes. Uh, uh, and so, you know, they're all, all able to do this from analyzing these bones of humans from, I mean, a really long time ago. That's absolutely fascinating because conventional wisdom tells us that the diet of ancient man was more than likely meat, correct? Yeah, well, we still have a whole, isn't there a whole diet fad called the paleo diet? <laughs> yeah, right? there is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying, well, okay, maybe the paleo diet was, uh, not to say they didn't eat some meat, because obviously they did, uh, but but uh, but it was more plant-based than maybe we've thought for years. It's This research really kind of just... Turns you know turns the whole thing upside down a bit to some degree. Uh, so you know I see he said, and this is Professor Haas saying you know hey maybe maybe there's some other things that we've thought for years that maybe maybe they're not based on reality, and so that's what these new uh, techniques that we have because of technology are allowing us to find out some things that that uh, we always you know maybe some of the things we always thought were true just aren't. Now, has he has he and his team discovered if these were actually cultivated by the people or found wild, uh, as in like a they, gathering he, type? They he they don't know they don't know that, um, but but you know that there is some thought that maybe, um, you know m- maybe there was some early agriculture ha- starting to happen then. Wow! But they're not they they don't they don't they don't don't have that full insight no. Well, that's still pretty fascinating because if this was the primary source of their, you said about eighty percent, they're guessing eighty eighty percent plants. Yeah, they're estimating, and guessing is a bad yeah. word. But uh, well, no, it's I mean that's a that's a pretty solid number based upon the uh, their analysis that's that's scientifically sound. So we're looking at about eighty percent of their diet being these tuber type uh, roots. Very potato-like, and, and and they would have had to have gathered these things for quite some time, or had a definite spot where they would return to time and time again. That is fascinating. It opens up a whole new world of questions. Uh, were they able to store these? Were they able to uh, cultivate them? Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. It. I love questions that are answered that only end up making more questions. Yep. 
Now, do you think that these findings will lead us to look into the diets of other ancient cultures more closely? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think he, he's being, basing a... He said that Professor Haas, I'll quote him, he says that, you know, given that archaeological biases have long misled archaeologists, myself included, he said, talking about himself, in the Andes, it's likely that future isotopic research in other parts of the world will similarly show that archaeologists also have gotten it wrong elsewhere. So, yeah, I think that's his hope, is that this might uh, stimulate some further analysis uh, at other parts in the world. You know, we got, we've got a lot of uh, remains, ancient remains, off to the side. I would love to see some further tests done on those to see if maybe we got uh, some things wrong in the past. Yep, yep. Now, remaining in South America, two University of, Anth- University of Wyoming anthropology professors have discovered one of the earliest circular plazas in Andean south america showcasing monumental megalithic structures which refer to uh, refers to construction that uses large stones placed upright without any mortar these are basically almost i don't want to compare it but almost kind of like stonehenge they're just placed they're not uh, concreted in or mudded in correct that's correct that's correct and, and the thing that's really interesting is this was happening at about the same time as Stonehenge was built. So it's about 4,750 years ago, and that's, this is before, by the way, the Great Pyramids in Egypt. And, uh, and at the same time as Stonehenge, there were people in South America doing similar stuff with rocks. That's amazing. Uh, and making, making a circular plaza. Uh, Chad, what do they believe this plaza was used for culturally? Well, they think, uh, you know, probably some ceremonial stuff, uh, a gathering place for some, you know, where they would, I don't know, maybe religious or maybe just social or something like that. But, you know, for instance, we don't, we don't really know exactly what Stonehenge was all about, although we have some ideas. And similarly, it's like, well, they did this for some reason, and it was a communal sort of effort and the idea that maybe some sort of a gathering place, possibly it tied in with some sort of ceremonial thing, that could have a religious aspect to it. That's absolutely amazing to think that on the other side of the world, a, another culture was building a very yeah. similar stone circular uh, structure to perform. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, wow. He yeah. says, and the, re- the researchers say that, and the people who built it, they were, they were living still primarily a hunting and gathering lifestyle. Or gathering and hunting, maybe you say. <laughs> and they, they, they probably had only just recently begun growing crops and domesticating animals. So this, is, this was a very early civilization. And so it begs you know, the question that maybe since they had started to discover how to cultivate plants, domesticate animals, this could quite possibly be a... a, a be evidence of settling in an area as opposed to having to nomadically travel around following herds. Yep, yep, that, that's absolutely, you bet. I mean, that is, a, that is a keystone of human development. I think this is absolutely fascinating that it happens almost, almost around the same time that it was happening on the other side of the world uh, with yeah. Stonehenge. 
Yep, yep. It's uh, it's amazing. I, I I'm I'm fascinated with this stuff. Just I'm a lay person. I don't have any expertise in this, but the stuff that technology is allowing us to find out about the past is just amazing. It's just fascinating for me. Absolutely. And and, 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 you know, these... we, and we have UW people right in the thick of this, which is really cool, both both here in Wyoming and in other parts of the world where, you know, you, you come here as a student, you get to meet with, you know, work with these folks and actually participate in the digs. Well, and if you did, based on what major you choose, I mean, you could be working in with NASA uh, toward something in the future, or you could be looking so far in the past and making these major impacts on scientific communities that, that span the spectrum. And I absolutely appreciate you coming to me with these four fantastic discoveries from our brilliant and very hardworking minds down at UW. Chad, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing these with us this morning. Hey, thanks, Floyd. All right, when we come back, we're going to speak with the Sheridan County Library System. This is Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Sheridan. A benefit account for Carol Hamilton, the homeowner whose home was demolished during the standoff, has been established at First Federal Bank and Trust. You can make your checks payable to Carol Hamilton. Checks can be dropped off at First Federal Bank and Trust on the corner of Illinois and Coffee Avenue. You can also mail them to First Federal Bank and Trust, P.O. Box 6007, Sheridan, Wyoming, 82801. From sleek sedans to spacious SUVs, Waring Sheridan Chevrolet has got the wheels to match your lifestyle. With the surge in new inventory sales, Waring Chevrolet is taking in a lot of high-quality, low-mile, pre-owned vehicles spanning all makes and models. The team of Waring Chevrolet is dedicated to guiding you through the entire process. Visit WaringSheridan.com or stop by 107 East Alger and let the team introduce you to the Waring way of buying a vehicle. WaringSheridan.com. Branded with quality, Shipton's Bigger. It's all right here, everything you need, Shipton's Bigger. Whether you're in the saddle or out on the town, take advantage of this special offer from Shipton's Big R and Ariat. Receive a $20 gift card with your $100 purchase of Ariat Denim. Ariat Denim is expertly constructed from the inside out. You'll know they're the right jeans for you the moment you put them on. Men's, ladies, kids, we have you covered with the comfortable feel of Ariat Denim at Shipton's Big R. Offering the largest, most complete selection of Ariat with a fit and finish for everybody. And now, through March 3rd, you'll receive a $20 gift card with your $100 area jeans purchase at Shipton's Big R on Sugarland Drive in Sheridan. Branded with quality, Shipton's Big R. Wake up and smell the coffee lovers. McDonald's in Sheridan, Buffalo, and Gillette are bringing back the McCafe menu magic delightful espresso drinks and coffees whether you crave the warmth of a hot cappuccino or caramel cappuccino mochas lattes iced coffees and more you can order your mccafe coffee right from the mcdonald's app using mobile order and pay for a quick pickup your mornings just got a whole lot better with mcdonald's mccafe because hey 
Good day start with a great cup of coffee. It's back. If you're looking for a little extra sports coverage in life, you should check out the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast hosted by me, James Timberlake. Every week, we break down some of the biggest stories in the sports world, as well as some other topics along the way. And we'll maybe talk about something random, like how mind-blowing the invention of shoelaces must have been when they first came out. Who knows? For all of your sports jargon, and maybe a little extra, check out the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast posted every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts, or on SheridanMedia.com, presented by Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate in Al. Pine Climate Control. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting. For our second part this morning, I am joined by Sheridan County Public Library System Director Amy Long. Good morning, Ms. Long, and welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, how have things been going down at the library? Seeing a lot of kids come and go in this uh, colder weather? Yeah. We uh, surprisingly even had a, a small story time yesterday, even despite the snow. So people <laughs> still come out. Still brave the weather to go they out do. for story time. I love to hear that. Now, uh, do you are you still getting a lot of teenagers coming in, utilizing the library for study time, like a quiet place? Yeah, a lot of um, tweens and teens come in after school spend time at the library there on the weekends or during the summer. So yeah, we have quite a few people who utilize that space. Now, do you remember uh, when you were junior high, high school age, were people taking advantage of libraries like that back then to your memory? Cause, and maybe it was the group I ran around with, but uh, we, we really didn't take advantage of the library the way that so many kids are today. Yeah, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time in the library, but I was much more of an introvert and a loner at the time. So I liked to go disappear into books. And usually there would be others like that in there. Um, But yeah, if if you were busy with sports or activities like cheer or dance or theater, um, those kind of things take the forefront sometimes. Uh, Usually they'll come back, though. Often we get folks coming back when they're having kids or if they get into a career where research is part of it or if they just enjoy digging into a subject matter or a topic so and do you remember the libraries having as as many resources maybe resources is the wrong word but opportunities for programming opportunities for quiet study areas mm-hmm. do you remember libraries having that when you were younger because i don't i don't remember i mean i remember you went there for books they had a couple tables laid out but that was about it Yeah, it's interesting. Libraries over the last 25, 30 years have really evolved into what they call a third place, a place that the community can come and gather and spend time doing more things than maybe what they used to spend in library. When I was a kid in the 80s, I think it was mostly thought of as a study place. The whole library was a study place. And now when you go in, you'll see, one, we have more formats of learning. So we have computers, which you wouldn't have had necessarily everywhere then you have places to plug in and use your computer you have wi-fi you have digital resources online resources downloadables uh and so i think we're evolving in how we serve the community and one of those opportunities for us was really becoming a place for the community to gather uh, a place for people who work from home to get away from home to do some work but also a place for people to come and enjoy their passions and interests so that they have an opportunity to connect with other people in the community. Absolutely. It's become more of a community center. Yeah. And do you feel that 
Because, I mean, there were some huge books, book series that mm-hmm. really changed the way kids were kind of intaking media for a while. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, Harry Potter came along. The Hunger Games came along. Uh, I would even argue a little bit about the Twilight series, mm-hmm. you know. This really got kids interested in books themselves, leading them to the library, uh, kind of changing the way that they looked at the library. Do you feel that those books had that type of influence, that it would change the library system? I do think it has. Um, if you look at TikTok, there's something called Book Talk, where lots of influencers out there are specifically talking about reading and their passion for reading. And if I look at the age of these folks, they probably were influenced by the Harry Potter fandom and they've created a whole new kind of market for books, collectible books where they have decorations on the pages and they're really set to display. People will buy them as trophies. They'll read the ebook and then they'll buy the physical book to put on their shelves as like a trophy to show Ah. that they've read it and they become book collectors and then they become book advisors and giving readers advisory on TikTok. And I, I look at these folks and I'm like, oh, yeah, you guys are from the genre where you really got or the age group where you really got into specific genres or specific series and you dove all in. And it, they've just perfected the idea of a fandom, I think. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it's had such a monumental influence on an entire generation of kids that are now obviously adults and, and they've got this new, well, not new. But this passion mm-hmm. for books, the physical forms of books, you know, my daughter, same thing. Boy, man, she just, she can consume book after book after book. And I, I had my, my spouts, you know, where I would read for months on end and then not. And then of course, college, you've got to go through and there's certain required readings, but to watch her read for entertainment when all around her, is is various different types of media it just it inspires me you know where we thought for a long time well you get too many screens and the book is gone but that is not the case and i'm absolutely kind of flabbergasted about it yeah it's interesting about 20 years ago we went through a a bit of a scare in libraries when ebooks came on and It reminds me a little bit of when newspapers came out and people said, oh, newspapers, they're going to destroy the book industry. (laughs) And it never did. And the same thing kind of happened with ebooks. We predicted that the growth was going to continue at an exponential pace, but eventually it plateaued out at about 20% of readers were consuming material digitally. And what we ended up finding was they didn't care so much what format they got the material in. They just wanted what was ever soonest. So if it was a downloadable audio book or a, a playaway audiobook, or if it was available on e-content or if it was physically in the library, they just wanted it quickly and they could consume it in a variety of different ways. So we never really lost the book reader. We just gained, I think, a whole demographic of people who wanted more flexibility in how they were consuming their books. And another, every time I see a movie come out based on a book, I, you know, back when I was younger, I used to think, oh, well, why bother reading the book now? But one thing that I've noticed, my daughter and and others that I know, they will watch the movie and then they go off and read the book. It's almost like the movie has become a trailer uh, because there was always that debate. Every time you see a a movie based on a book come out, the argument goes, well, the book is better. 
Well, I think that has become so true for people that they're like, well, the movie's just a trailer. <laughs> now I can really dive into the lore and everything else. So are you guys getting uh, some copies of Dune in? Cause yeah. <laughs> Dune has never gone out of print, thankfully. <laughs> Been around since the 70s, and it still keeps going. <laughs> it's it's an amazing story, and I think you're going to have a lot of folks come in there. It's, sci-fi's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think you're going to get a lot of folks coming in searching for that one. We could... Yeah, the books tend to offer so much more in-depth detail about the world and the world building that people really get attracted to that element if they're interested in the storyline at all. You can get so much more detail and characterization, and people really love that. Do you, I imagine you were already kind of higher up in the library system by the time mm-hmm. that the Hobbit series came out, the movies themselves. The movies, yeah. Um, did you see kids come in wanting to, to read that book a little bit more? To your memory, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but... Actually, I think the most interesting thing about The Lord of the Rings was it really galvanized the adults who read it as kids, and they got super excited and super into it, and because they were into it, a lot of times their kids would get really interested in it, and so it it comes from, like, the adults and what, you're, what you grew up with and what you feel nostalgic about and what you loved and sharing that with your kids, and then they get interested because their parents are. I will admit that is one thing that I, I shared with uh, my daughter. You know, you throw in Lord of the Rings, and we know it's going to be a whole weekend thing now. And then once Dad starts it, well, we got to watch them all. <laughs> and, and there's only the extended versions. There's no such thing as, as the theatrical releases. Now, returning back to the idea that our, our libraries have become community centers, there has been... Some some big news out of the Story Branch recently. You guys have done a lot of work out there. They have. Um, the Story Board out there, they have their own community board, and they started fundraising for an addition to the library, and it just completed. So if you haven't been out to Story lately, it looks a lot different today than it did a few years ago. Um, they added an 1,800-square-foot meeting room, and by doing that, they were able to change their existing meeting room into a children and family space, which is lovely. And their old children and family space, which was very tiny, has become a quiet reading space. So they're really looking at ways to extend the, the space in a way that allows the community to come and spend significant time in the library. They've had families in that little area sitting and reading for an hour or more, which before the space didn't really accommodate that. So it's really exciting to see how just reconfiguring your space and thinking about what does your community need, which the storyboard did so well of thinking about what does this community need? How can we help the library be successful and help the community grow in their use of the library? And by adding this space and doing the fundraising for it, it's really galvanized the whole library system out there. That's fantastic. Now they've got a larger space that mm-hmm. they can rent and, and organizations can hold meetings in these places, which is something else that has happened at our own library right mm-hmm. here at the Fulmer. Some construction projects have finally checked off the last box, haven't they? They have. Tell me about the Inner Circle. The Inner Circle, I have never seen what it looked like before, but I have heard legends of how <laughs> it was sort of set up like an amphitheater where the center of the room dug down into a little pit, if you will, for lack of a better phrase. And it, for many years, it functioned that way, but it lacked flexibility. So 
when they looked at what are the renovations that matter the most to this library, they looked at the roof and some structural needs, but they also looked at that community room and the community use of the space. And they found um, that quickly they could fill in that hole, which was a creative endeavor of the building project from what I understand. And now it is a flat space that can be for meetings, presentations. We had Christmas with Craig there. Um, it has three digital screens that you can connect to for presentations and tables and chairs and all kinds of things. You can configure it any way you need to. And it's been a real win for us. Um, it's a bright room that is spacious and welcoming and I love it. Now, are you, are you starting to see more people come in and and try to utilize that space, reserve it? Uh, is there a waiting list for that or? There's not a waiting list for that. You do have to, you know, first come, first serve. So you do have to kind of get in quickly if you have a meeting you want to get to. But you can call the library and check on availability and they'll book the room for you. And that's that. Uh, back onto the idea like the kids coming in. Are mm-hmm. you seeing the kids utilize a lot of that technology? Because you guys also just added, what was it, four computers? We did. We had four computers in the teen area and we found we could fit four additional computers in that area in order to better meet the demand of the teens so that they all can find a place to play the the games or look things up or to work on their homework and really help utilize that after school time or that summer time uh, to meet the demand. And you expanded the teen area. The tween area. The tween area. Yeah, sort of the school age kid. I think a lot of children's areas start out as preschool age and lots of picture books and story times and little chairs And it's important to remember we got school age kids coming in, so we need some bigger tables and we have collections specifically for them that we've put in there, some tables for studying or just working on projects and then four additional computers for the tweens to use. And they're very excited because they had lost them all during construction and now we've got them back and expanded them and it's getting a lot of great use. That's fantastic to hear. Now you also have a series of smaller rooms uh, that people can reserve. Um, do we have to reserve it or, or is that one of those I can walk in and one's going to be available type situation? The rooms that are up on the mezzanine that are smaller, um, that are good for small groups or individual study, those do need to be reserved, but they're often more of a walk-in basis, meaning people kind of reserve them when they get to the library for that moment. And often they're available and free at that time to use. And that's something that I really want to put out to the community there. Um, it's, it is an excellent space uh, if you can't seem to find anything quiet at the house. You know, you really need to get some work done, get some studying done, head to your local library. They have got some space for you. And for all those high school kids. And you know what? Even some of the kids out there at Sheridan College, this is an excellent space for group projects. Yeah. It is a room that you can go into with your group. And, and brainstorm and accomplish whatever you want. So so make sure that you're taking advantage of these these spaces up at the Fulmer, folks, because they are there for your use. Now, coming up next, can you tell us a little bit about the strategic planning that's taking place? Yes, I'm very excited about that. Um, strategic planning is something we did as an organization in the library I came from. And it's something I feel like is really helpful to explain the purpose of your library, what it can accomplish for your community, and specifically how we're accomplishing that. So right now we're working with our board. We, we did some feedback sessions with the staff and the stakeholders. And ultimately, 
I think going forward, we will find ways to include the community in our back and forth discussion about how the library can best meet the needs. But our next step is to create what I consider like large umbrella concepts, probably just about two or three that will tell us for the next three years, what is the library working on? How is the library, where, what are the opportunities the library sees to have positive impact in the community? And then we take those big umbrellas that are really broad kind of general categories and we create goals on them based on them. And those goals then lead to tactics or what I consider tasks. So you accomplish your tasks, which helps you accomplish your goal, which helps you ultimately accomplish that strategy. So I'm very excited over the next four to six months to develop that plan and to be able to share that with the community so they know what the library is working on and what we're working towards and how we plan to include them and, and communicate with them about who we are and what we accomplish. And this strategic planning is going to affect all of the libraries within the Sheridan County Library System, correct? Absolutely. We're a system, and we have to remember all of our branches. Now, it, how often are you guys meeting to, to throw ideas and brainstorm? Um, we've had a, a few, like, general meetings, and then we have a couple more coming up, so just probably about a handful. Is there anything that have, has really come forward as of yet that we would say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and put that one in stone and we'll wait on that as far as an umbrella concept? I think we have some we're kicking around, but we haven't really settled on anything yet. Nothing's nothing's in stone as of yet. Not yet. Now, um, is there anything you would really want to include uh, in that strategic plan? And when I say you, I mean you specifically. Yeah. Coming in from the outside saying, you know what, this worked over here. Let's give it a shot. Honestly, I think the thing I'm most excited about is coming up with ways to engage with the community, um, create a dialogue, create a conversation, have regular opportunities to get the pulse of the community or involve the community in our planning and the things that we do at the library and knowing how people either respond to it or what questions they have. I'm just really excited to get to know the Sheridan community more throughout the county and find out what are the best ways we can serve them. And that might just be sitting down and having a conversation uh, yep. maybe once or twice a year. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, Amy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show this morning. It's always an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. All right. You've been listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Sheridan. A new year means new adventures. Make this year the start of your homeownership adventure with First Federal Bank & Trust. Our local team will guide you through the home loan process from start to finish. Explore our online tools 24-7 from customizable financial calculators to daily mortgage rates. Call us or stop by our home loan center to get pre-qualified or apply online today at efirstfederal.bank. At First Federal Bank & Trust, we're making home happen in Sheridan. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Knights of Columbus are showing their support for Sergeant Crinky as well as all police, first responders, and military by offering them half-price meals at this Friday's Fish Fry. Tickets are $15 a person, $60 for a family of five or more. Kids five and under are free. Dine in or take out. Proceeds benefit the Holy Name Catholic School Tuition Assistance Fund. 
For shut-in delivery, call 672-0936. The Knights of Columbus Fish Fry Dinner, this Friday, 4.30 to 6.30 at 301 East Brundage. I'm here today with Candace Crane from Sheridan Honda and Power Sports. Tommy, hi. Have you noticed all the new Hondas on our lot? I have. Looks like you have one of everything. We do, and there are plenty of reasons to buy a new Honda. For qualified buyers, every SUV from the HRV to the Pilot is 4.9% financing for 60 months. Civic and Accord are 2.9% for 36 months, and we have a couple of 23 Ridgelines left at 0.9% for 36 months. Great deals. And these all come with complimentary oil changes for the first two years or 24,000 miles. Shop for your new Honda at Sheridan Honda today. Do you like your bluegrass served with a little punch, attitude, grit and gravy, with that busking spirit that was so present in the early incarnations of Old Crow Medicine Show? You'll definitely enjoy Damn Tall Buildings when they take to the Mars Theater Saturday, March 2nd at 7 p.m. Oh, what a nice life we once had. We'll hit the sun like we're living in drag. Oh, but just like a feeling there at home. A fraction clip of grain of mist blowing air back in your home. Bluegrass at the heart, but pulling from a wide range of influences, including swing, ragtime, jazz. They offer unmatched energy and enthusiasm, underpinned by intelligent songs that don't skimp on infectiousness. Damn Tall Buildings, Saturday, March 2nd. Get your tickets today at the Y.O. Box Office or online at yotheater.com. The following message is presented by Century21BHJ.com. Hi, my name is Nevada from the Sheridan College Dental Hygiene Program. February is Children's Dental Health Month. Did you know that even with good toothbrushing, cavities can still spread into the deep pits of our teeth because the bristles aren't able to reach? This is why sealants are so important. Sealants reduce the risk of cavities by 80% according to the CDC. We are able to place sealants at the college clinic at a reduced cost. Protect their smiles and schedule today by calling 307-675-0400. Do you find yourself asking questions about technology? Anything from home electronics to your mobile phone? Hi, I'm Rich Demuro. You can hear me weekends right here on News Talk 930. Now on 